Welcome to Peer Innovation, the podcast with Leo Batari and me, Randy Cantrell. Building on our previous shows, The Year of the Peer and What Anyone Can Do, we turn our attention to helping business leaders build high-performing teams. We'll talk with a diverse group of thought leaders who will share stories and insights that will help you and your teams achieve new heights. If you believe there is strength in numbers and that meeting the challenges of the future can only be achieved if we do it together, then join us for the conversation. Today's guest is Chris Zhuang. Chris is the founder and CEO of Right On Tech Company Limited. That's R-I-T-E dash O-N tech. In his 20-year career, Chris has worked for government companies, private companies, international companies, and his own. He is a husband and father, been to many countries, worked in many countries, but today he joins us from his home base in Shanghai, China. We welcome Chris to the show. Chris, welcome to the show. It is so terrific to have you on the Peer Innovation Podcast. Thank you very much, Leo. So it's been a pleasure and uh, always a great to talk to you. So tell, um, tell our audience where you are today. So I'm in Shanghai. So, yeah, to be more precise, I'm in Pudong District. So a little bit, uh, yes, the center of uh, my studio. So I'm all good. Oh, that sounds great. Well, you know, for those of you who may not know, and we'll get into this a little later, but um, Chris and I have been working together now for, you know, many, many months, really, to see that Peer Innovation, the book, uh, will be released in China, and that the concept and the work um, may actually find its way not only to peer groups, but also to uh, businesses as well. And we're really excited about that. And it's been such a pleasure, Chris, working with you for sure. Um, Thank you. you. Know, it's, it's, it's just been great. But I think, you know, if we back up a little bit before we get into peer innovation and its release mm-hmm. in China and all that, I'd love to know how you got interested in peer advisory groups and what that looks like for you and, and why this has become something that you've uh, invested in. So that was from uh, 2017. So that was from 2017. And uh, I was uh, invited to be the translator of uh, a round of Vistage International Leadership Program in Shanghai. So by th- before that time, I had really zero idea about how peer advisory group works and what it is. I have zero idea. And uh, from the first workshop, I came up to understand that this is a super powerful system that's super professional people. But not only because of their experience, but also because of their intention to learn and grow and to support each other. I think, wow, this is something that that is really interesting. And uh, I would like to go a little bit closer to that. So what did you see um, when you when you started observing these peer groups? What was it about them that you noticed that you felt was so powerful for you? Well, I see uh, all of the participants, I can say that they are they had such powerful backgrounds and they're CEOs, they're business owners, not small business owners, just, yes, relatively bigger sized company owners. But when they are in this workshop, they somehow behave like a group of uh, a teenager student. Really humble. Mm. And yes, we just sitting in that setting that you can feel that super strong energy of learning. 
and supporting each other. And that is super powerful. And I can see, yes, so this is some system that can make things very different. It is interesting, isn't it? When you see someone go from, the, you know, they show up at work every day and they're the top person mm-hmm. in their company, yet they yeah. sit around a group of other CEOs and that's not the position they play anymore, right? They, they're just one of many other CEOs um, who, you know, as you know, I mentioned in the book, I, I found it fascinating that CEOs oftentimes will recognize that they're the most, you know, arguably one of the most important people in their company, right? They get sure. their position and the leadership that they have there. Yet when they're in a group, they don't always realize how much they matter, how much their contribution makes a difference for the others uh, in the room. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some of the, yeah, some of the participants, they just join and they just were like to, uh, like we have this uh, saying, just uh, sitting on the riverbanks and have a little bit more love. So, <laughs> but the point is, but the point is somehow you have to, yes, dive into the water to learn to swim. So this is one of our work. Yes, great leaders used to taught us, used to teach us. Mm. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I just think the, you know, and, and I think that, you know, we've, we've chatted about this before too, that, you know, mm-hmm. there are certain cultures that are regarded as more individualist versus more collective uh, in, mm-hmm. in their orientation with the U.S. being a bit more individualistic in terms of, um that orientation and yet there's much yeah, more right. collectivism you know in china how does that factor into peer groups and there being a fact like in, in other words are, are are chinese businessmen and women for example really uh-huh. open to being part of a peer group and if so what does that look like and how do they engage in, with one another in a way that you think um that y- your culture helps make that successful yeah, I think that could be a little bit of the both sides. And uh, generally speaking, our culture is a little bit more uh, collectively, uh, somehow collectively uh, focused. Yep. And uh, like yours, it's more individually focused. And, uh, and the business owners and the CEOs at this moment in our country, they are, yes, they are quite more open-minded, we can say. It's just not like, 40 or 50 years ago, because right now we see the possibility and the diversity in this world and uh, we're being a part of it. And so for them, they will be able to understand that being a part of a peer advisory group can help them to, pro- to, to transform their own leadership. So that is more internalized transformation. But also when they just, we, we have this conversation. Uh, one, I still remember there, there is one session of the meeting and when the coach, yeah, they asked this question. So how many people are going to be affected by our meeting? So let's do some, yes, quick math on that. So the CEO started counting. So yes, uh, me, myself, my uh, direct relatives, um, spouse, kids, parents, and parents-in-law, and also their yes, staff, employees, just put all the people together. They just combine. Guess what? That's like a little bit more than 86,000 people affected just by this yeah, small group of the meeting. So this is a huge number. So when we have this awareness, 
And based on our culture, we understand that, yes, so this is super powerful. And uh, this can help really change lives and uh, improve the quality of the lives for many people. You know, you make bring up such a great point there. And, and part of this too is I know when I do the workshop with CEO peer groups, which is pretty much designed to help them maximize their experience, right? So they come and they meet once a month. And here you've got all these high-powered people coming together eight hours. And this is eight hours they will never get back, right? So it's a matter of because of all that's at stake, because of all the people that are affected by this, coming there and really bringing your best and being at your best and being open and being willing to share and being willing to learn. And what can happen when someone from a completely different industry sector will ask you a question that you probably stopped asking yourself a long time ago, because oh. this is just how things work in our world. And all of a sudden you get a question that gets you thinking like, wow, you know, that's not how things work in our industry, but boy, it could. And, and maybe it could be a competitive differentiator for us. And maybe it could be something that could, could really make a big difference. And, and there are, you know, when you look at the peer groups, whether you're looking at the U.S., China, around the world, there are thousands and thousands of stories of moments during an eight-hour meeting like that where someone asked a question just like that. And it triggered something that, again, affects all the people's lives that you're talking about uh, that are yeah. in this meeting. So I, I find this whole thing rather extraordinary in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, sometimes when we just talking about the, yes, in your book, we talked about the, the ladder of inference. Yes. Sorry, yeah, inference. So that is the system that is very powerful. And I'll be inviting uh, some of my friends and some of my learning partners. Yes, to follow this system to sometimes, yes, we literally draw a ladder on the whiteboard to ask them to say, yes, so this is how you start to think. This is how you start to observe everything around you. And on the top of the ladder, so Either you're just trying to go a little bit further, which will just trip you off, or either you just climb down and find another ladder and change a different perspective. So see how that's going to work for you. So, yeah. yeah. And and for those of you um, or listeners who maybe... So in the book, um, I reference uh, Chris Ardrice's Ladder of Inference. And the Ladder of Inference is basically designed to help us understand and reflect on why it is we believe what we believe. Where does it come from? What does that look like? And how do these things reinforce one another? And with even the idea that what if we were able to climb a ladder of inference? Because the idea, for example, is that, you know, uh, Chris and I, for example, right, grew up in completely different cultures. We would walk into a room, for example, or, we, or we'd see any situation, and, and I'm likely to pick up on different data points than Chris is. Chris will start walking up the ladder, if you will, based on assumptions and conclusions based on the data points that are noticed by him. And the reason they're noticed by him is because of those beliefs that have been informed before. You know, for me, it looks at something else. So now all of a sudden, when we look at the exact same situation of a completely different impression of what happened and what it's all about, it, it becomes like, wow, how did you get that? And, and this is where rather than judging how people see things as right or wrong or different or whatever. It's like, how do we ask questions? 
and truly get an understanding from one another about why someone sees it a certain way. And I talk about this idea of why don't we walk a little wider ladder of inference and we walk up that ladder together and we get a sense of learning, you know, from one another about how we see the world. We, and we may not come to agree on it at the end, but we sure as heck are going to have a much better understanding about why the person sees the world as they do. Uh, compared with how we may see it. And so I appreciate you bringing that up, Chris, because I think that's a really powerful element when it comes to whether it's peer groups, whether it's teams, whatever, right? People see things in different ways. We can either choose to call that person wrong, judge them, have negative feelings about how they see things, or we can ask questions and we can seek to understand and we can start embracing this idea and with the possibility by the way <laughs> that we're likely yeah. to learn that we're likely to learn something and we're likely to go wow uh, i never thought of it that way before that is really cool that is really interesting yeah. right and this is what yeah. groups kind of do for one another yeah that's absolutely right and uh, so uh, we have this saying yes in our proverbs so that there is a proverb in our culture so a group of the frogs they're sitting on the bottom of the well they start to stare in the sky, they say, okay, the sky is just like this much big, just like the size of the well. But there is this <laughs> one teeny tiny frog said, okay, so I was trying to see if there, yes, out of the boundary, what is that? The moment he's got that idea, is no longer a part of this, those frogs. So hmm. same like the ladder of inferences, the moment that we start to think that there might be some other ladders waiting for us, to explore or just explore and observe. So there will be way more possibilities waiting for us. That's fascinating. Yes, we, we human beings, we are the creator of meaning making. So we tend to make meanings all the time. I also love just the whole, so as many as you want to introduce as we're talking about things, any proverbs, metaphors, or anything that you think are relevant here are always so fascinating because I think they paint a picture, right, of, oh, yeah. of kind of understanding, you know, all this. And whenever we can get a story like that, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's rather extraordinary. And, and the assumptions and the things that people do. Um, I, I was telling a story to someone uh, when I was growing up, you know, I'm, uh, here I'm like, I don't know, nine or something like that. I'm in a classroom. Okay. And, and mm -hmm. this teacher talks about the fact that, you know, life is not possible in other planets because there's not enough oxygen in there for people to breathe or for life to breathe. So, of course, I raise my hand and I'm like, well, what about life that may breathe something else? Like maybe they breathe nitrogen. Maybe they breathe whatever. Yeah. And I was I was absolutely, the teacher looked at me like I was the dumbest kid in the whole world and the kids were laughing and everything. I'm like, whoa, now I realized that was a pretty good question, you know, but, yeah. but sometimes we're made to feel in a way that we don't put ideas out there. We don't ask those questions because somewhere along the line, sometimes we might've been in a situation like, like I was that day where I kind of just put myself out there thinking I was asking a perfectly great question. And I was just like yeah. chopped down, you know, in yeah. that moment. And unfortunately those things can keep us from being vulnerable in groups. And, and, and that I think is a, is a question that I have for you in terms of, you know, we know, for example, in China, more collectivist culture than um, in the U S um, but what are the differences you think with regard to vulnerability 
You know, this idea of being in a meeting with your peers and not compromising mm -hmm. whatever personal currency you have as, your, as the leader of your company, how easy or difficult is it, um, do you think? And, and granted, I, I realize we're painting this with a broad brush here from a cultural perspective, but um, mm -hmm. how is sharing? Is that, a, is that a tough thing to get people to open up when you look at meetings that you're having in, in China, for example? Well, yeah, uh, culturally speaking, so it's it's very different just in terms of vulnerability, and uh, we have this we have this uh, we can say this quite general understanding that uh, Eastern and Northern Asian people are more we can say um, internalized or just keep things with themselves or. Yes, not able to be uh, speak up. Yes, trying to be yes more quiet. So, so these are the taglines. These are all the tags for our, our for our people. But I think that what is if, the root of that? Why is that? Well, historically speaking, there can be yes many reasons for that um, because of the I can say the climate because of the. Yes, the history lines because of the yes, the kingdoms ups and downs. But I can understand that because of this huge density of population, sometimes being more quiet and the focus was with yourself, it could be a better practice. It could be a better practice. But still, vulnerability is something that we all need to face. Mm. Yes, one way or another. And how we're going to choose to face it is something that's going to affect the outcome after it. So in peer advisory groups, when business leaders and the CEOs, they're sitting together and uh, they have this psychological safety, just as you mentioned in the book. So this is the foundation of everything. I know that I can trust the people over there. I know that everything I shared stays in the room. And I know that I will not share anything else hmm. outside the room either. So that is psychological safety. So that is so important. I think which psychological safety is the foundation for every relationship or I say healthy relationships. Exactly. You know, when yeah. you think about it, the example I brought up of asking the, the question that I did in class, that was mm -hmm. not only something that affected me, but think about it. It affected every other student who might think to ask a question down the road and think, hey, I don't want to go through what Leo did last week. Right. I mean, that was <laughs> right. So they don't ask the question and they and they stay quiet and they don't um, they're not vulnerable. They don't be curious. And, and unfortunately, we get a little bit you know, trained on this in, in a way that isn't necessarily very positive um, when we're younger sometimes. And um, but I think when you think about your when, when you think about peer groups, if, if you were starting a peer group right now in Shanghai uh -huh. and you had eight to 10, 12 executives who've never been part of a peer group before, how how would you get them to trust that psychological safety? How would you get them to feel that they could be open without penalty. In fact, not only without penalty, but mm -hmm. with some reward for themselves and for others in the room. Okay, so yeah, that's a great question. And uh, uh, I have this design. 
for those people who never been met before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a little bit com- combination of a ladder of inference and also another practice called the lifeline. So I, 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 I'm sure that most of the leader, reader listeners, they know about the lifeline exercise. So it's, it's just basically like a coordination system starting from the day one, the day we get warned. And then we have the ups and downs. I just point out those ups and downs at the age and uh, make a little bit note on that. What happened that day? So, yeah, what you have experienced that day? And just link them up with the curve lines. And with that observation, people will start to think about, yes, there might be something, yes. Um, there might be some uh, cause and effect. There might be some kind of a good or bad trauma, sorry, karma inside that. Yeah. And uh, after that, we will just borrow that letter of inference, ask them, yes. So what about, I would like to invite you to climb onto another ladder of inference. Mm-hmm. So see mm-hmm. how's that going to happen. And normally I will start from my, my part of the story. So yeah, so in that way, people will feel like, yeah, so if this person can share his, so I surely can share mine. Yes. So you model yeah. those behaviors so other people can follow that and they can all, you know, do yes. that. No, that's absolutely, yes. uh, you know, and it, it's a great way. And also, I think what helps people feel psychologically safe is the, the listening, right? The idea that everyone is locked in and paying attention and really, um, you know, not being distracted they're not checking their cell phone or looking out the window when you're trying to tell a story about your life or something that's consequential for you right i mean it becomes really important that the listeners you know and that they also feel you know let's face it that there's some benefit to it you know people feel like all right if i'm going to put myself out there here i want to feel like there's some benefit to myself and others in order to Mm -hmm. do that for sure so yeah that's a really you know important part of it i think as well um yeah so with regard to so i'm going to pivot a little bit here because i do want to talk about peer innovation and kind of what struck you about it how you got interested in it. obviously i i feel unbelievably grateful that you in particular were the one who translated this book um, yes. and even just you know fascinating about the title here's a made-up word Right. And, and how we yeah. translate that into into Chinese, for example, and and how we tr- how we translate and transfer transfer these ideas mm-hmm. uh, in a way that works. So I'd love to get a sense of what that was like for you in terms of the that whole process. OK, so, yeah. Uh, so at first, I'm uh, I would like to say thank you, Leo, for trusted me to go along with all the translation and the publication of Pure Innovation in China. And uh, so the Chinese name of Pure Innovation is called Tongdao Changli. And Tongdao itself in Chinese, that means people like me. <laughs> people just like me. Same mindset, same background, not exactly same background, but just similar background. So uh, similar understanding of life and uh, our purpose in the world. So that's what we call peer, Tongda. And Changli, uh, <clears throat> in fact, it's, it's uh, a short version of uh, the power of innovation, Changzao Li. So 
when just put them together, so it's just like a four Chinese characters just representing the power of pure innovation. So similar people gather together and uh, to creating this magical thing with all the innovation collectively. So that's how it comes out. That's fascinating. I mean, it's really cool. So was there anything, so when you think about the stories or the um, or some of the concepts or anything, was was there anything that you found particularly challenging in terms of trying to translate it in a way that was true to the intent of the content or did you find it pretty seamless? Oh, well, uh, we, we have this, we had this conversation, Leo, you and me, and a couple of months back, and we talked about uh, accountability. Yeah. So we talked about accountability and we talked about right. responsibility. Yes. I had this conversation two days ago with my ICF certification learning partners, and uh, I shared this uh, concept with them. So accountability, responsibility, so different, so, so different. But in Chinese, they're somehow like uh, a liability legally or not legally bounded to some people. So it feels like the same, but I shared with them that they're not exactly the same. So yeah, responsibility that comes from the word response. It comes from something that is reflecting, that is bouncing back. Yes, from something or someone. But accountability is the person determined we can say the determined that word, just put something onto his shoulder. So we have this, we had this conversation. We literally put onto the shoulder and carry it all the way. Yeah. So I think this is part of the yes, challenge I met in the, during the translation. But yeah, of course, we had some other translations. So just in case I made some uh, mistakes during the process, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's going to be hard for me to figure that out, actually. But uh, yeah, to let our listeners know, we're, we're not doing this uh, podcast in Chinese because I would be completely incompetent in being able to do that. I am so grateful that uh, Chris's English is so um, you know excellent. But um, anyway, you. so tell me a little bit. Um, so here we've got the book. So I'd love to hear and let our listeners know just about. Of course, you know we got together. You were interested in the book. You're interested in translating. It. We wanted to make it available uh, in China. Yes. So then all of a sudden you can, I think it would be great to talk about the publisher and talk a little bit about yeah. any any dates or when this will be released and in what forms it's going to be released in. Um, that would be yeah. great for, for people to hear. Yeah, of course. So uh, uh, I think starting from the end of last year, so when translation is about to finish and I started to reach out to publishers about the publication of this peer innovation Chinese version here in China. But yes, not only in China, but also in, yes, greater China, Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan included. And so I re reach out to publisher number one, and they say, yeah, we are all piled up. Some, yeah, some, some of the reasons. And the number two is the same, got the same reason. So I got a little bit frustrated. And then a friend just introduced the Sanya San University Press, which is located in the capital city of Guangzhou province, Guangzhou. Okay. So I took a business trip to there and this early January, and I set up a meeting with the person in charge of the publication in the press. So that day I remember was like 
it was like a little bit less than 20 degrees and it was quite sunny. It was quite sunny in Guang. It's, it's not very normal in January because in Shanghai, it's like freezing and windy. And, but in Guangzhou, it feels like uh, late spring, not early spring in Shanghai. So it feels like, well, I think this is January. Okay, so I'm happy with that. So I took this taxi to the gate of this uh, Sun Yat-sen University Press. It's located in the university, south side of uh, a very famous river of the, of the town. And uh, I clear, cleared myself because of the COVID situation. So I cleared myself with everything. And uh, so wearing a mask, I stepped into the campus. Well, I, you can't believe it. Leo, the campus, it remind me, just remind me uh, the Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. It looks like so classical and so fascinating with this huge grass. Yes, in the middle, in the center of the campus. And then I talked to the press and uh, after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I said, yes, we reached the agreement. Then yes, we're going to go for it. So just like we said, the great agreement never took a long time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is so great. And, and so we're going to be looking at it. It'll be, uh, should be released sometime in July, pretty much, right? Is that what we're yes. looking at? July It could go into August, but you probably think in July. Yeah, we hope they will be done in July. And uh, so now we have this uh, ISBN code ready and uh, very soon we will have this uh, cover design finished. And after that, everything will be uh, transferred to the printing house. So it will be another like one or two weeks. So we'll have it, yes, ready to go. Love it. Sounds great. Yeah. And I can't tell you how, you know, exciting it is to be able to do that and to, you know, have the book uh, released in China and, and you being such the really major part of making that possible. And I appreciate that more than I can tell you. And um, thank you. But, thank you so but, much. Um, so where can um, people learn more about I mean, I, I know they can probably connect with you on LinkedIn. They can learn more about you and your company and all of that. So oh, yeah. how, how can they do, how can our listeners learn more about you and all of that? Yeah, you can always reach out by LinkedIn. And uh, my LinkedIn is my uh, English name and the Chinese name. And my Chinese name is uh, Zhang Liang and the English name is Chris Zhang. And you can always find me. And uh, so I'm the founder and the CEO of uh, Ride on Tech Shanghai Limited. So this is the company we focused on the leadership transformation for the companies, for the teams, and also for the leaderships. So yeah, just feel free to reach out. And I'm in Shanghai, but I'm available anywhere. Sounds great. Chris, thank you so much for joining us in the show. Great conversation. I know our listeners really appreciate it. And, um, um, you know, again, uh, just looking forward to, um, you know, the release of the book and uh, to getting over there and spending some time with you as well at some point. Yeah. And thank you so very much, Leo. So it's been a pleasure and always an honor to talk and work with you. And uh, in closing, I would like to share a little bit of uh, my my personal journey about peer innovation. So right after the right after the translation of peer innovation, and uh, I had this thinking that uh, I need to write something like a preface, a translator's preface that is somehow yes legally requested okay, for the book. Great. Yes. So yeah. So I shared with myself that 
now we are already on the second decade of uh, the 21st century. So we had this major challenge starting from last year and uh, we, we're still in, in VUCA time and uh, we don't know how this VUCA time is going to be. So maybe this is the VUCA time leading us to another level of less VUCA time, but we don't know. We don't know how long is that going to be. But really what we can do at this moment is to lead from our heart. And always good leaders are readers and leaders put what they learn from the book into their life and into their work. So I see peer innovation, this Chinese version, a little bit like uh, another kid of mine. So yeah, so that's a little bit emotional, but yes, that feels like, it feels like that. Way. And uh, I would like all of you to enjoy it. And thank you so all very much. Well, I can't think of, of a better way to end the show than that. Thank you for everything. And um, we will um, we'll see you soon. Thanks. See you soon. Thank you, Leo. Thank you for joining us. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how you can engage peer innovation for your organization, contact us on the website at peernovation.co. Till next week, remember, the power of we begins with you.